Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. Fall is here, and those of you with easy keepers and metabolic horses need to be extra careful at turnout time. As the seasons change, the sugar content in grass increases, often leading to a seasonal spike in cases of founder. The folks at Equithrive have formulated products to help you navigate these potential pasture pitfalls. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order, plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our Humble Hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, ship jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. Many of you who've listened to this podcast for a while know about my own personal horse, Vinny, my Mustang who got me into hoof care. He was diagnosed with navicular and his diagnosis sent me into a journey to learn more about how to get hooves healthier and how to help him get sounder, but in turn, learn how to grow the healthiest hoof possible and set your horse up for soundness. I wanted to repost this episode about Vinny's journey because I think some people might not know exactly what got me into hoof care and my passion for navicular and where it came from. A little update on Vinny. I retired him shortly after this episode just because the anxiety of bringing him back into work kind of took over, but he but he remained comfortable and sound in retirement and I brought him home here to my farm when we purchased it and he continued to do super well. He had a strange bout of pretty severe lameness this fall. Not quite sure what happened, just as a full disclosure, Uh, but he's doing great now and I so enjoy being able to look out and see him and remind myself what got me into this whole crazy obsession in the first place. Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. Okay, I know I've said before that episodes were hard to make, but I can assure you this will be the hardest episode I will ever record because it's about my own gelding, Vinny. I don't generally think of myself as a superstitious person, but when it comes to Vinny, I end up usually being super tight-lipped. I swear there are times when I gush about how good he is doing, and then the next second, he decides to go do something idiotic and injure himself again. So right now, I know you can't see me, but I have my fingers and toes crossed and might even be super vague throughout this episode for that reason. Hopefully, the general gist of the situation still comes through. But you came with me the first time I met Vinny. Remember I was, like, taking pictures yeah. of him? Yes, I do. You and I talk about anything and everything, and our conversations could go on for hours, and we're both very verbal processors, so we just talk and talk and talk, and then all of a sudden, there he is coming home, and there he is on the trailer, and I, like, have that image that Boba took of you when you put him off the trailer, like that, and it was kind of rainy and damp, and you're standing there with him, like, from 
however long ago that was now. And next thing we know, you were a proud owner of a Mustang. <laughs> and you didn't know what you were about to get yourself into. Yeah. <laughs> I still, or for worse. I know. And I still think about like my favorite ride on Vinny was when you and I went on a trail ride. You brought Tommy oh, up. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah. yeah. And that we, was, we were that like, was our like two decades of friendship all waiting on that one point where we can finally get our horses <laughs> together at the same time and go on this glorious trail ride. And we thought that that's all we were going to do is ride up into the sunset forever and ever. <laughs> That was a conversation with my friend Cindy. We've known each other for about 22 years now, and we grew up riding together. She's seen Vinny's entire story from beginning to right now. I don't really know where to start, but here's a quick bit of context. Vinny is my 13-year-old BLM Mustang gelding and the reason I am into hoof care. He literally changed the entire course of my life. I was a content elementary school general music teacher with a master's degree in music education, and then along came Vinny. I always joke that if he had teeth issues, I'd probably be an equine dentist, but he just had to go and have hoof issues and give me a hoof obsession. I knew nothing about hooves or soundness or equine nutrition or biomechanics or really much at all before Vinny. Honestly, if I knew what I know now... Maybe all of Vinny's lameness issues could have been avoided. Maybe not. But it's something I definitely used to beat myself up about. Did I ruin my horse? I don't know. I hope not. But I've spent the last six years trying to make it up to him. Let's say none of this, like Vinny, were a perfectly sound horse. You wouldn't know what you were missing, but would you, now that you have this new career that you seem to be really passionate about, I mean, Vinny is the cause of all of this. Do you see any other instance in which you would have first have pursued this change in field of work if it weren't for Vinny? No. Like, would anything <laughs> else have led you to what you're doing right now apart from Vinny? I mean, unless I don't, I don't think so. Like, unless I had a horse with hoof issues, <laughs> I just don't see. Like, I had no interest in feet whatsoever. Like, I literally was like, oh, cool. Even when he had those quarter cracks, I was like, oh, whatever. The vet says they're superficial. I won't even worry about them. And then they end up growing out. But I don't know. It's so crazy because you could have had another horse and still been a music teacher and, like, not necessarily been happy as a music teacher. Yeah. And, like, I can tell that this is your passion because when I talk to you about school, they tell your school day. You're like, oh, I just, like, keep it separate. Like, <laughs> I don't really talk about it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you eat, breathe, and sleep and live with care. Yeah. <laughs> and passionately. And it's just, like, crazy to see night and day seems to be something that you're so taken up by that you want to spend every moment of it. I bought Vinny in January of 2014 after searching for about a year for a horse. I wanted a Mustang specifically because for whatever reason, I thought they would never have soundness issues. They have great feet. They're easy keepers, blah, blah, blah. Famous last words, right? Well, I had followed his training for about eight months, and I adored him, even though he was spooky at times and uncertain about people, and certainly not a finished broke horse. I knew he didn't have perfect feet when I bought him, simply because he had these huge quarter cracks that went all the way up to his coronary band on both of his right feet, so his right front and his right hind. I even sent hoof pictures to my farrier, who was Beth Lewis at the time, who requested that I get radiographs to see what might be causing the cracks. Luckily, it seemed to be simply from excess leverage and flare, and they did end up growing out. Yeah, and so you had me get radiographs because he had those big quarter cracks, but do you remember anything else from the first time you saw him? So I remember he was a little bit nervous in his stall. You opened up the stall door, and he took one look at me and turned and went to the corner of his stall. (laughs) So you brought him out, we pet him, I let him kind of sniff me a little bit. And I remember he had quarter cracks, pretty low and under one heels on all four feet and a really long toe. Like I felt as though the whole entire foot itself had overgrown and run forward. But those quarter cracks, I don't know. Yeah, I know. And you dremeled out his cracks and they, they were able to grow out. I think, I think the cycle helped. The cycle length helped too, yeah. shortening up the cycle. His feet turned out looking pretty darn good within a year of owning him, but the issues with his soundness started just a few months in. I feel like here is where we hit a series of unfortunate events. I was riding him four to five days a week, mostly walk, trot, and trails. We were just working on getting his canter leads. 
The day it all changed, I took him on a trail ride with a friend down the road and we were trotting over a path with some roots, which was mistake number one, probably. And I felt him take a funny step on his left front. After that, I swore he just felt like he had a flat tire when I was posting, but he wasn't head bobbing, or at least to me or my friend, it didn't look like it. I kept obsessively asking her if he was okay for the rest of the ride. She told me that he was tracking up fine and he didn't have a head bob and was keeping up with her horse, so everything seemed okay. We got to a rockier part of the trail and he instantly went foot sore. Now, I had ridden this horse over every single kind of terrain there was for the past five months because I assumed he just had great Mustang feet. I'm probably another mistake, right? This ouchiness was totally new and nothing I had ever felt. Looking back on it now, he had just transitioned from a dry lot onto grass pasture. So I wonder if his feet were affected by the spring grass and I just didn't know that would be an issue. Uh, Mistake number, what are we up to? Three? (laughs) After the trail ride, I turned him back out and he just wasn't moving right. Everyone else thought I was delusional, but I knew my horse and how he walked and how he trotted and that wasn't it. In fact, I had the vet out twice and she even didn't see a reason to nerve block because he just wasn't that lame. She mentioned he might have some hawk arthritis because he wasn't tracking up behind very well and maybe he had a slight stone bruise on his left front, but she wasn't really concerned about anything. Well, a few weeks later, with time off, he, if anything, was getting worse. So I had her back out to do radiographs. I'll never forget the moment they came up on the screen. Here I am, a naive little 26-year-old who thought the radiographs would show me the answer to his issue and we could just go ahead and fix it. I really want to laugh at my overt optimism back then. The vet saw the rads come up on the screen and took a moment and said, Okay. Let's put him back in a stall because I want to talk about these. There's something on here and it's going to be more of a long-term thing than we thought. So the vet found bone spurs or enthesiophytes on the lateral and medial side of his navicular bone. So if you don't know what that is, it's like the wings off the side of the navicular bone. She also found a navicular cyst in the middle of his bone. His hoof pastern axis angle was slightly broken back. Everything else looked pretty average, and I'm saying that because over the last six years, I have looked at countless radiographs, and I still sometimes look back at Vinny's first set of rads just to see if I missed anything the first, you know, 700 times I stared at them. We didn't radiograph the right front that day, and there were times over the next few years that I wished we had. I'm probably going to sound super emotional and dramatic here, but I'm just going to lay it out for you and be a bit vulnerable. I was a mess. I had waited for 26 years to have my first horse that I was 100% responsible for on my own and had spent a year searching and felt all my dreams were pulled out from under me. The diagnosis was pretty crushing. This was my horse. One I had plans for, one that was supposed to take me on limited distance endurance rides or hunter paces or to the beach that I was going to have adventures with. And after one simple trail ride, that was supposedly all gone. The vet told me that he would maybe, maybe be a walk trot horse. She said to put him in bar shoes and wedges, consider Tildren or Osphos injections or whatever was the approved drug at the time, and eventually he would keep getting worse and I'd need to do a neurectomy or something to keep him comfortable until I eventually put him down. She was very realistic and honestly a bit pessimistic, but I don't blame her. She wanted to make sure I knew the seriousness of the pathology on his radiographs. But then it became all I could think about. I was in grad school at the time, and I would often zone out during class wondering what I should do. Do I give him back to the place that I bought him from just a few months before? No, I couldn't do that. Do I retire him down south? I couldn't rehome him. That wouldn't be fair. And he'd probably end up somewhere unsafe if I did that, most likely. I couldn't put him down. He was in good spirits other than a quirky stride and being unrideable. So these thoughts would actually be something that plagued me every time Vinny had a setback in the years to come, but I won't outline the next six years for you here. The next few months after the navicular diagnosis were a roller coaster ride. I think one of my biggest difficulties when it came to the diagnosis was hearing so many differing opinions from different people that I respected immensely. 
I didn't know any better. I didn't have any opinions for myself about soundness or hoof care. I had a vet that I respected telling me one thing, farriers from all over on Facebook and in person telling me other things. I felt like I was being pulled in a million different directions and I didn't know which way was right. I questioned every time we tried something new if I was actually ruining my horse by trying it. And then there were the people I was boarding with who had their own opinions. Boarders who would say I was doing the wrong thing, not helping him, making him suffer. Barn managers who were unsupportive of my choices. It was hard and there were times I felt pretty isolated having a lame horse that everyone thought they could fix if I just did it their way, but nobody could actually fix in practice. Somewhere along the way, I switched vets to a local vet practice in town and decided at that moment I wouldn't tell the vets there much about his diagnosis at all. I didn't want them seeing him just as a navicular horse and have ideas about his movement and soundness before they even met him. I needed to explore more ideas and see what I thought about all of it. So naturally, what do you do when someone tells you your horse has a degenerative disease that will eventually be the end of his usable career and his life? Well, obviously, you Google everything you can about it. I began to cling onto little bits of information I was picking up from various things I was finding online. Pete Ramey and Dr. Bucker kept popping up in the navicular rehab searches, and both of them really struck a chord with me. Pete has an article on navicular, and he mentioned that Dr. James Rooney in 1974 found that soft tissue damage precedes bone damage in navicular cases. So we need to get the soft tissue happier and more functional. Often we can get the horse to return to soundness despite damage to the navicular bone. I came to really respect these people as I found evidence of their approach helping horses time and again. Of course, I kept searching for more cases similar to Vinny. It brought me to Rockley Farm Navicular Rehab in the UK, which, if you listened to episode four, you know gave me the first glimmers of hope in what felt like a really long time. There were these horses that were being sent there with navicular bone damage, soft tissue damage from, you know, collateral ligament tears, impar ligament tears, deep digital flexor tendon tears, bursitis, years of lameness, horses retired from huge careers who went to Rockley and were rehabbed to soundness within months. And they did it all without any corrective shoeing or NSAIDs, any injections, or really any limitations for the horse. I had to see what they were doing. So in the summer of 2015, after stalking Rockley for about a year, I flew there to see it in person. Horses that have got a deflexor tendon or collateral ligament injuries, so soft tissue injuries within the foot. Sometimes they have related stuff going on as well, so they sometimes have kissing spine, they sometimes have arthritis, they sometimes have, sometimes they have a PPID, insulin resistance type issues, but I only take the ones where that's secondary, mainly because the setup I have is, is really good at dealing with biomechanical lameness, and as it happens, our nutrition is in place for laminitic type stuff as well, but that's something that obviously people have to deal with at home. So um, so the majority of the horses that come to me for rehab have that type of injury. To hear more about Rockley Farm and how they rehab navicular, scroll back to episode four and have a listen. But long story short, their secret to rehabbing navicular is diet changes with mineral balancing and removing grains, watching for heel first landings on their track system, and allowing the horse to self-trim barefoot. I saw these horses head to Rockley with corrective shoeing packages where every plan and thought had been exhausted. I saw them go from years of maintenance, injections, painkillers, setbacks, to continuous improvement and progress at Rockley. They had tried all the regular approaches and they weren't helping these cases, which I think any hoof care provider can say, there are just some horses that we can't seem to figure out. In 85% of the cases that went to Rockley, where all the traditional approaches didn't seem to cut it, these horses were back out eventing and fox hunting and show jumping. So there had to be something there. For some of the case studies, check out their blog or listen to episode four. I assumed after visiting Rockley, I would feel like I needed to ship my gelding overseas to have Nick fix him. But instead, my first thought after seeing it and how they rehab was... Oh my goodness, I could do this at home. 
I mean, if I had my own horse property. I know, maybe a bit overly optimistic of me, but it was just so hopeful. Nothing the vet or any farriers I had talked to before this had made me feel so hopeful, but Nick did. She didn't make any promises, and she won't give specific advice without seeing a horse, but I felt like I had a direction to go towards. If you listened to episode two, you know that I'm a little bit of a nutrition geek when it comes to horses. Rockley focuses so much on diet changes because some simple mineral balancing tweaks produce some pretty cool results. I've seen removing iron, which has some correlation with metabolic issues in horses, removing grains and increasing copper and zinc in the diet to minimize soul sensitivity and grow out a tighter lamina connection. I've even seen it resolve some difficult thrush cases that wouldn't respond to just topical treatment or soaking. I've even seen it grow out some funky cases of white line disease. Giving the hoof what it needs nutritionally was my first step. My next step was making sure Vinny was landing heel first. This might be debated in some circles, but I feel really strongly about heel first landings and not just because Rockley rehabs countless horses by focusing on slow motion video and making sure their horses are heel first before working them. A lot of the shock absorbing structures in the foot are in the heel, the frog, digital cushion, and lateral cartilages. If the coffin bone is at a positive palmar angle when the horse lands heel first, it'd be somewhere around ground parallel. When landing heel first, the full extension of the distal interphalangeal joint and the action of the DDFT is critical. The deep digital flexor tendon and superficial digital flexor tendon play a role in stabilizing the distal limb and dispersing energy. So the thought there is that a heel first landing allows for the best shock absorption, not only for the joints and the limb itself, but allowing the soft tissue to move correctly over those bones and not lead to stress, tearing, or lesions. Nick made it clear. If a horse wasn't landing heel first, it shouldn't be worked or ridden. You're just asking for injury. I went home and felt like I had a plan. I needed to make sure he was landing heel first. I needed to overhaul his diet. I needed to let himself trim. Just to catch up to where we were in my equestrian life, my farrier Beth had injured her knee and I used a few people in between but ended up meeting June O'Brien, who trimmed other horses at my barn. She put up with my incessant questions, and eventually she started to trim Vinny. I I met you in 2014. Yeah. Do, do you remember anything about the first time you saw Vinny? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was adorable. I do remember that. <laughs> and scary. Very, very cute, with a big head, goofy big feet. I remember admiring his feet actually because they were so big and round. And I mean, you had already done some rehab by that time. And I think Beth Lewis had also seen him, right? And yeah. I believe, I think you said he had a big hoof quarter crack and she had helped you with that. So by the time I saw him, that was almost gone, I think. Yeah, it was growing out. But he had a lot of rings in his feet, I remember from, I think he was on a lot of grass at the time. Yeah. And... I immediately saw that and he looked like he had pretty sort of flat, thinner soles, thrush in his frogs. And I think you were treating the thrush at the time, but we probably talked about that. Um, I think he had a little white line too. Yeah. And you, I think you were one of the first people, I don't think he necessarily had thrush when Beth saw him and then she injured her leg. Yeah, I think you were one of the first people to tell me that he had thrush. Um, and it was, like, now that I'm remembering, it was bad because I could fit my whole hoof pick into it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Because yeah. I think at the time you, th you thought he had an abscess because he was lame. Yeah. And I think you were treating him for an abscess, and he definitely had a pretty good thrush back then. And it's kind of funny to think that I was actually educating you on thrush because <laughs> you're so... <laughs> You're so strict. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> so you think a Mustang, he's got, you know, really nice big feet. Yeah, you can treat the thrush, get him rehab, and he should be good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I remember we went out to the outdoor ring, and I brought my boot. I, I had a bunch of boots and pads in my car. And my first go-to whenever you see lame horse is like, you know, add some boots and pads and different variations and make a little heel wedge or whatever and softer pads, thicker pads, see what they like. 
see if you can get them at least trotting sounder. Um, and my heart like sank when he just, you know, had bobbed around at the trot. And I kind of just, I don't know if you remember, but I, I kind of was like, kind of not so positive and just saying, you know, I think there might be more going on here, like yeah. internal damage. I saw the potential, like his feet looked really good and it just didn't make sense that if it wasn't an abscess, you know, it just seemed like it could be something bigger than that. Yeah. So, and then you started trimming him and he did, he did okay for a while. Um. Well, I think, I think the little things we did, cause we were very attentive. I remember just watching, you were so good. Like you would just pick up on the littlest things. That's when I knew you were like destined for hoof care. Cause you just, <laughs> you know, watch exactly how he was standing and waiting. And we would hone in on like the left front. He's not waiting it properly look look he's kind of standing on his toe you see that you see that yeah. <laughs> we would go and, and I mean you know in hindsight you know he wasn't waiting his deep digital flexor he wasn't waiting his navicular bone you know th these were actually valid things we were seeing yeah you were seeing now being a hoof care provider myself at this point, I can't imagine how annoying I must have been to her. I constantly was asking her why she was doing what she was doing and asking her why she didn't lower the heels more or why she was trimming the toe the way she did or whatever new idea popped up for me on social media that day. I was going to say, it was probably like the most annoying client because now that I, now that I trim, I'm like, oh my gosh, when, when these people are like, why aren't you doing it this way? Can you take more toe? Can you take more heel? <laughs> And I was like, oh my gosh, right. I did that to June the whole time. <laughs> no, no, no. But the difference was you didn't do that. You, and you've always been this way. You've always been, you've always approached it from a real humble, I mean, you're a you were a teacher, you know, and you still are a teacher. And you've always had that sort of humble aspect to you where you want to know more, but you don't tell people what to do, which is why everybody loved, I think, helping your journey with Vinny and it was so rewarding for all the practitioners is because you you always validated our credentials and like where we were at and you never really made us feel like we weren't good enough and that's the difference is that you know clients that tell you how to trim or make you feel like you did something wrong or it's never good enough you were not like that at all you were just always you know wanted the best for your horse and you took everybody's advice or left it or whatever but you were always very humble and in your need for you know learning more but I think that's your your educational background my crazy questioning turned into June teaching me how to trim at first it was just with Vinny but eventually I was able to apprentice with her and ride along with her to her own clients which was a lot of fun with my newfound hoof obsession but eventually yeah. I I mean I just got like obsessive and was starting to rasp his toe back a little bit I mean you mm -hmm. showed me what to look for. You showed me, you know, how to sight down the hoof. You showed me, um, you know, what to think about in terms of like taking heel and being mm -hmm. aware of the frog when you're, you know, trimming heel and, and then you let me ride along with you and, and watch you trim. I mean, it wasn't long before I was giving you tips and showing you how to balance the foot. And I mean, you were asking so many questions, but I knew you were so eager and the only way for you to move forward, I knew was to do it yourself. And, and of course I was giving you a rasp and then I think I gave you my extra stand and some yeah. nippers and then you were <laughs> off to the PHCP hoof care school and it was like, no stopping you after yeah. that. <laughs> I just think your journey with Vinny, like it's easy for people to give advice um, along the way. And it's really hard when you have a horse that is unsound and what you think someone should, it's easy for people to say what they, they think you should do with your horse and all that. But when it's your own horse, it kind of puts you on this learning journey so that you can be better off for your clients and you can have more knowledge for them, even if you fail with your own, you know, cause, but you, I feel like with Vinny and your path, it's been similar. It's like, you know, you've had so many stumbles along the way and it's like that were nobody's fault other than what how he came to you honestly I mean and you've just pushed on and you've looked for answers and that's really what made your journey so amazing and why you are so good at what you do and it, it doesn't always have to end like 
he's perfect. He's sound. You know, he's a lot better than he was. And you've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from Vinny. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one thing that Vinny has really taught me is that when I first started, I thought that like, if we just do these things, all horses can be comfortable and sound. And now Vinny's taught me that like every horse is such an individual. And sometimes like you can do everything mm-hmm. right. And they just, they have pathology, you know, like it just, Right. I mean, he's taught me so much and made me really frustrated at times, but you know, it's every horse is totally. But oh, you've done an amazing job with him. He's so lucky to have you. So Vinny was put on the perfect diet, was living out mostly 24-7, was getting consistent good trims, he was landing heel first, and he started doing better. It wouldn't last forever, but for a while, I was able to ride a bit. I won't say this is the happiest of stories or the biggest success, but I will say it certainly has helped to make me who I am. June eventually told me that I didn't need her anymore and handed over Vinny's hoof care completely to me. Honestly, the next few years are a bit of a blur, but somewhere in there, Vinny became fairly consistently sound. He went to live on a small track system at a friend's house for one summer, and I felt like that's where he really bloomed. He came back looking pretty good, and I started taking centered riding lessons on him. I would constantly ask the instructor, Sarah Contois, if he looked lame, and she would constantly assure me that he was doing great and to keep riding. The year I was taking lessons, I was just getting to the point where again I was working on his canter leads, you know, only three years after the first time. And I actually almost stopped worrying about any lameness issues. Notice I said almost, because it definitely was and always is in the back of my mind. I became really busy that spring because I was in a wedding of a super close friend, so I didn't ride for about three or four weeks. The day I came back to the barn, I saw him trot to me in the paddock and my heart dropped. No one else even thought he looked off, but to me, he just wasn't using himself correctly and something was wrong. I brought him in the indoor and made him trot and canter at Liberty, and he didn't look lame, but he just wasn't moving how he normally did. I stopped riding him and at that point was in the middle of a decision of whether to move him to a new property, so I sort of just pushed it to the back of my mind for a while. At the new barn, he just didn't ever seem right. At this point in my hoof care journey, I had joined PHCP, Progressive Hoof Care Practitioners, and was working through their program, which I cannot recommend enough, by the way. It's fantastic. I tried a few different things with Vinny's diet and mineral balancing. I played around with some of the supplements Dr. Kellen recommends for neuropathic pain in the foot. And finally, Beth Lewis urged me to have a sports medicine vet, Eric Swinebrod, out to do a full set of diagnostics on him from head to toe. I tried to get Eric to chat for this episode, but he is traveling and practicing down in Florida for the winter and wasn't able to comment. I decided not to tell Eric anything about Vinny's past diagnosis before his appointment to have sort of fresh eyes on any of his issues. So thankful that you came and supported us when Eric Swinebrod took a look at him and did like a full workup on him. Do you remember anything about that vet appointment? Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Swinebrod, he's pretty thorough in his examinations. So he looked at him head to toe and then some, because Eric didn't know much about what his story was to get a fresh perspective. And overall, he was in really good shape until we watched him go, watched him move, and then the vet put hoof casters on him. And I remember one foot in particular that he was sore on the medial heel region. We did radiographs of his front feet as well as his hocks, and Eric commented on the navicular bone damage and mentioned he assumed there was some DDFT involvement as well as involvement with the navicular bursa, given the flexor cortex damage he had. His hocks were interesting too. Turns out, my 11-year-old Mustang had fused the distal hock joint and had spurring off his right hock. Eric and I talked, and he suggested I do some glue-on shoes for the winter, frozen mud especially, and coffin joint and hawk injections. And then we looked over the radiographs, took some radiographs, and then he thought maybe he was a little bit sensitive in his hind end and in his hawks too. And we looked at 
pox x-rays on him, which I think that was the first vet to look beyond his front feet yeah. and say, what else is compromising this horse? And I believe the vet said that he had like pox of a much older horse, which to me says compensation factor. And then we also talked about, you know, the things that he has with his radiographs aren't anything that was new. It, everything looked like it was damaged that was over time and probably a while ago. So that made me think, I even think I asked that too, is this something that could have happened from birth? Or because remember, I think you were saying that his herd was in a tough situation and that's why the BLM rounded them up because there was a little bit of starvation going on with his herd. So that kind of made me think too, was this something that he was born with or lack of nutrients early on or in utero? Because, you know, like you said, Mustangs generally should have pretty nice feet. And certainly, you know, a horse that isn't, wasn't ridden hard. Yeah. And I remember when the vet first looked at him, he thought that he wouldn't have hoof issues because his feet yeah, he, look. He, right. And he totally loved your trim, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I looked at, he was like, this is a really nice trim. And then we're like, wow, what else is it? What else do you see? <laughs> nice feet. So, you know, we talked through all the pathology and the x-rays. And I think something that really stuck out to me was Eric saying, yes, you know, the lameness could be all this wonky pathology. But he said that given the circumstances, he thought, you know, he might just have a stone bruise because of where he responded in the hoof testers in one specific spot on his yeah, I think it was the medial seat of corn. That's where he tested with the most response. And he gently squeezed and he flinched his leg and he goes, yeah, that's that's real. That's painful to him. So he was like, maybe it's just a stone bruise, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember the vet too saying that based off his radiographs, after we took them and looked at everything, he said, you know, you've already rehabbed this horse a few times it's not going to be the last time you rehab him. You will again, but then you'll get him sound again. And he was kind of like, no, this is what's, what this horse is going to be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I really clung to after that appointment was Eric saying, Vinny is not done. And that, that kind of like gave yeah. me, gave me the encouragement to keep going and just see what's going on with him. And right. Yeah. yeah. That's one big thing about working with Eric is he gives a lot of hope because I mean then he had a, a laundry list of things but then he looked at the hind end he did some blood work to make sure that we're not missing a piece that we can put together and then you know looking at your trim going this is a beautiful trim there's no reason why he should have the problems before the radio before he looked at the, the radiographs you know it it was a glimmer of hope going well maybe he just has a stone bruise wouldn't that be fabulous and he'll yeah. get over it and be fine Right. So new plan initiated, maybe some glue on shoes. Maybe it was a stone bruise. You know, Eric says common things happen commonly. Don't jump to the worst conclusion. Assume that it's something simple first. So we did hawk injections and coffin joint injections. And I started riding him at the walk and he actually felt pretty good for a bit. My friend Jill and I started taking our horses to the beach down the road and doing these long walks on the smooth sand right by the water, which really is a perfect surface to ride on. And he did pretty well. And then I started worrying about the frozen mud in his paddock that he didn't like too much. So I decided to do some gluons to hopefully help with the frozen mud, uh, just some scoot shells. And the day after I did them, he was happily stomping over the little frozen craters like he didn't have a care in the world. And I was psyched thinking he was really on the upswing after all. I even sent a video to a few friends, which my Vinny superstitious side now realizes was probably the mistake, right? Because the next day I went to the barn and something was really, really wrong. He was out in the middle of his paddock and he wouldn't come to greet me. He wouldn't move at all, actually. When he did, he looked three-legged abscess or broken leg lame. So my first thought was that he did have an abscess, maybe from some glue under the sole of the gluon. So I pulled his shells and started wrapping and soaking. When that didn't work, about 10 days later, I had a vet out to take radiographs. Nothing really significant was found. So we continued the wrapping and soaking and, you know, nothing really came of it. Eventually, a month later, I asked for more diagnostics. 
I just want to give a shout out to my vets, Derek Cavatorta and Sarah Cook from Blackbrook Vet Services. They were able to come out and they spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was wrong with Vinny. They did multiple radiographs and an ultrasound. They spent a lot of time assessing his lameness, doing various nerve blocks and talking over possibilities with me. Yeah, so you actually, I think you were the first vet that saw him for his issues that happened in, you know, the end of 2018 because you were with SRH then and you came out because I thought he had an abscess. Um, yeah. yeah, that was when he first took x-rays and it was the right front. And I think that previously his issues had mostly been in the left front. Is that correct? That's just from my memory because I don't have the SRH records. But Yeah, yeah. He had been, he's, you know, had issues on his left front for like six years. Um, but that was the first time his right front had ever had issues. And did you notice anything? I think you had said that you didn't see anything crazy on the x-rays that first time. No, I, I think that the first time was interesting because we blocked him and he went pretty sound with just one side of his foot blocked. So we were kind of thinking whether it was an abscess in one side of the foot versus a collateral or something like that. And then I think when we came back, we had to block both sides when I came back with Derek to get him to walk sound. And we did all the, you know, imaging that can be done in the barn. We did 10 x-rays of the right front foot and we did an ultrasound of the pastern and really came up with no answer, you know, why he would be so lame. There were some subtle abnormalities that, you know, we could pick up on, but nothing that would explain how sore he was and for how long. So I think at that point, that was like early in 2019, maybe February or something. We had basically said, you know, we've done all we can do. And the only way to get more information would be an MRI. I know that, you know, when we checked out, you knew that he had some changes in his neuricular bone, but they weren't of a magnitude, you know, that would be clearly the cause of lameness. And, and obviously that we can't see the deep flexor tendon down in that area. And we can't really see the bone texture or anything like that. So bone edema and soft tissue injuries um, that are within the foot are just not diagnosable realistically in the barn. So yeah. 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 And I really appreciate you guys coming out and, and taking so many x-ray views and, and trying to figure out what was going on with him. So at this point, I didn't know what to do because I just simply couldn't afford an MRI. I had poured thousands of dollars into this horse. I had flown to England. I was trying to do everything right and I still couldn't figure him out. But everyone at the barn, including myself, could see that he just wasn't even comfortable being a pasture pet in the paddock. I had even helped organize a clinic with Nick Barker on Long Island, and Vinny was supposed to be a demo horse to analyze his movement and try to figure out what was going on with him. But he just couldn't stand on his right front long enough to withstand the five-hour trailer ride, so I had to leave him at home. I still really enjoyed the clinic, but I wished Vinny could have gone, and I still do. I really started to consider putting him down at that point. I talked to Beth and June, told them my dilemma, and they urged me to really try to get an MRI done. That way I could see for sure if it was something that just wouldn't heal and I'd really have to make a significant decision or if he would get better with a different approach. I still didn't know what to do about the cost and then Beth and June set up a GoFundMe and it raised almost enough to cover the entire MRI and stay at Tufts. I'm super grateful and thankful for that and the support I had during that time. So if you contributed, know that I'm so appreciative that you cared enough about Vinny and his situation. The GoFundMe, you definitely dug your heels in on that and kept saying no. But I felt as though you needed answers. And you were you had already exhausted every half you had gone every avenue of trying to find your horse answers and what information or how much information we can get off at MRI so you have an idea of what's wrong and how to cater your rehab to what's wrong and I think maybe that's part of why you are awesome with these podcasts and giving back to the community that supported you so much to help your horse with that MRI and the diagnosis of what soft tissue and what pathology that he has going on is doing your podcast as a big thank you. Because we had people across the globe that just in an instant was like, yep, I'll donate money. Alicia needs that because Alicia helped me with my horse. Dr. Jose Garcia did the lameness evaluation and MRI at Tufts, and he was super nice. 
Vinny was a champ and did everything Dr. Garcia and the techs there asked and willingly followed them into the concrete barn, which smelled, surprise, surprise, like a hospital. I was so proud of him. June and my friend Cindy came with me for moral support. I was emotionally drained and honestly, I wondered when I dropped him off if it would be the last time I would see him. After everything, I knew that he was tired and I was too. I was able to catch up with Dr. Garcia about what he remembered from Vinny's lameness eval and his MRI. Yeah, do you remember anything about his his lameness evaluation that you did? Yeah, he's basically, you know, he had the baseline 3 out of 5 right forelimb lameness, which then switched to the other side once we actually blocked the right. Yeah, and then what did you find on the MRI? I know we talked about it. Oh, so the MRI in his case helped us quite a bit because... Not only we could then characterize the extent of the injury, not only from a bone standpoint, but also from a tendon standpoint and the interactions between both the navicular bone and the deep digital flexor tendon and the navicular bursa as the tendon goes behind the navicular bone, you know. So in your case, you know, he has, Vinny has uh, some, first, some fairly significant degeneration of the navicular bone, especially on the right navicular and also on the left navicular that actually had a pretty good cyst towards the back of the navicular bone. But what the MRI helped us also identify is that in addition to that, he has tears on the dorsal or the front border of that deep digital flexor tendon as the tendon is going behind the navicular bone. So that becomes very important because it's a horse that then you know that, okay, if I wanna do therapeutic shoeing, what type of shoeing is it gonna be best to help this condition with regards to protection underneath, to protect elevation of the heel, to protect that tendon. And also it can help you decide is it one that is a good surgical candidate to go in there as minimal invasive surgery via an arthroscopy, getting to that navicular bursa and be able to debride, you know, the tendon that has the tearing to try to get that tendon to heal. But in your case, with the level of degeneration of the navicular bone, doing something like that would only have limited usefulness because you have that amount of degeneration of the navicular bone to begin with. So, you know, you kind of have some of the injuries that uh, sometimes we assess as being the more negative predictors when it comes to, you know, how well, for example, a tendon can heal in the face of um, a certain amount of degeneration of the navicular bone. Do you think that the pain was mostly from the navicular bone or from the soft tissue tearing? Great question. That's a great question. That's actually one of the things that MR helps us quite a bit because based on the level of activity that you can assess, not the level of injury, but then also the level of activity that you are assessing on your evaluation, you can actually tell is the pain coming mostly from the bone or coming from the soft tissues. In this case, there was a little bit of both. The navicular bone giving probably a little bit more than half of the discomfort, but the tendon still giving you a significant uh, amount of the discomfort based on the degree of injury to the dorsal border of that deep digital flexor tendon. Okay, and you had also, I think you had also mentioned bone edema before? Correct, exactly. So bone edema is basically fluid, fluid within the bone. And this is one of the things that MRI helps us so nicely to be able to identify in any species, horses, uh, humans, dogs, etc. So it's actually one of these markers present of activity on that particular injury at this standpoint. So edema within the bone, edema within the tendon tells you that not only you have an injury, but that injury is quote unquote active and give you this amount of inflammation or active discomfort basically. So you can correlate the amount of edema on the bone uh, to a certain extent with how comfortable or uncomfortable the patient might be feeling. In the horse, you can have a bone that may look actually maybe not completely normal uh, or actually pretty darn normal and still give you a fair amount of pain. And on the MR, you can identify those horses that may not have any degeneration of the navicular bone, but could have a fair amount of edema or concussion within that bone. That's going to give you discomfort. So MR is then very useful to be able to assess this, those horses. 
in the horses that have navicular degeneration, uh, like Vini, for example, the MRI helps you not only to characterize that degeneration, but then how active is that degeneration at this point? Because some changes could actually be quiet. So even though radiographically can look kind of scary, they may actually not be as painful as you may think. Uh, and then the activity in the MRI would actually help you, and the, and the activity, by that I mean some of that bone edema that you asked, will be a nice assessor, basically, of how much active pain can you have at the moment. Yeah. And, and in terms of him and in his case and his MRI, what I know that we talked a little bit about prognosis back in June, uh, yeah. but what were you thinking long-term? Well, so he's a very, he's a very interesting case uh, because he does have, again, those two conditions working, you know, in that area. Not only you have some of that bone degeneration, but then also you have that, that tendon. In the right front, for example, which was the leg that was the most sore at the time of the evaluation, he has some of that edema in the navicular bone, meaning that there's some fluid within the bone and concussion, but not too much degeneration on that particular bone. And, uh, and again, the tendon giving you a fair amount of that discomfort and some of that or a, big, a bulk of that pain. However, on the left front, he does have some tendon damage, which is also not necessarily significant, but the amount of degeneration of that navicular bone with also the edema because of that cyst that he has more centrally is one that also is giving you a fair amount of discomfort. And when it comes to a prognosis, that's the navicular bone that you have to get a little bit more worried about because the tendon, one of the things that we could do, for example, in the right front, based on what we're seeing on the MRI, is go in there arthroscopically and clean that surface of the tendon that is torn so it can actually heal better and protect the navicular bone uh, to try to remove some of the forces that actually add to the inflammation or to the concussion of the bone and to that edema. But what he has that it also makes it a little trickier is that on the left front, you can do the same, but you have a loss of density within the navicular bone in the face of a cyst that breaks on the back of the navicular bone, and those ones are not just going to go away. So the long-term prognosis for complete soundness in this case in which you have a tendon tear in the face of that cyst breaking into the back of the navicular bone, then those are uh, more problematic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I remember we had talked about that. I will say I was so impressed with Tufts, the facility, the staff, and with Dr. Garcia for being so attentive and kind to Vinny. They were patient with him and took their time to try to pinpoint what was the cause of his pain. So a huge thank you to Tufts for all they did for Vinny. The next day, I waited for the phone call from Tufts. Dr. Garcia finally called me midday to let me know the MRI had gone well and he was happy with how Vinny woke up from it and I could come get him. He gave me the lowdown of what happened and said I could go pick him up. June and I headed down there and when they brought Vinny out to me, I felt like my heart was bursting and breaking at the same time. He was so calm and gentle with the techs and loaded right on the trailer and I remembered all over again why I fell in love with this horse. But I also knew his prognosis wasn't great, and I didn't know his future yet. I was headed out the next week to visit my friend Casey and to shadow Pete Ramey down in Georgia. So I wanted to get their input before making any decisions. But at that point, I really thought I was going to have to put him down. When in Georgia, I was able to sort of verbally process everything that Vinny was going through with both Pete and Casey. We also called Derek, my vet, and talked over my options. We decided that we would give him six months. If he didn't look better in six months, then I might have to make a bigger decision. So after visiting Casey, I had a little bit of newfound hope. He didn't look much better, but I had another plan. Of course, this was after I got back to the barn after Georgia and awkwardly started crying with my barn owner about how I thought I was gonna have to put him down. But onward. We did limit his turnout. After emailing again with Nick Barker and talking with Dr. Taylor on Skype a few times, I decided to put him into a 40 by 40 dry lot. We had tried a glue-on package, which didn't sit well with Vinny, so I was about ready to cast on some clogs per Dr. Taylor's recommendations. She had said she thought Vinny's bone edema was the most painful thing for him and probably why he couldn't handle any packing in his foot. If he had any mud or dental impression material or really anything, he would go crippled if there was really anything packed in there, which didn't quite make sense with his thick soles. 
We had some hang-ups getting the clogs in the mail, and by the time they did come, it was only two weeks before I was hosting Pete Ramey for a clinic at my barn, and Vinny would be part of it as a demo horse. So after talking with Pete, I decided not to do the clogs and just wait for what Pete thought at the clinic. For whatever reason, either the fact that it was the limited turnout or that I started him on his diet again, which I had stopped when he stopped eating everything right after his injury, um, or who knows what, Vinny started to feel more comfortable. He still looked like his leg fell asleep every time he got up from lying down, and he still was lying down a lot more than I liked, but his movement was better. People at the barn started commenting that he didn't seem as miserable. By the time of Pete's clinic, uh, Derek actually mentioned to me that he was looking pretty good. Now, pretty good for Vinny at that point probably meant he wasn't hobbling around on basically three legs, but I do remember at the clinic he was turning pretty well and moving very forward and standing pretty much okay for Pete's trim, which was a big deal because the trims in the last six months before that, I had to give him banamine and sedate him to get him to even hold up a leg. So that was improvement, right? That he would stand for Pete trimming him. I was able to talk with Casey about what she remembered from the clinic. You and Vova came down and spent a week here in Georgia and got to come and we got to hang out and go work on some of my clients for the week. And then the following month in August, I got to go up to Massachusetts and help you kind of set up for Pete's clinic and see some of your clients and ride around with your vet and take the radiographs for the clinic. Yeah. And you helped out so much with the clinic. I feel like I couldn't have done it without you there because you did, you did like 75% of the work. (laughs) No, no way. No, but it was, it was fun to be be able to come up and help. You're so organized. It was neat to see. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm so not. No, you are. You really are. So do you remember him when Pete was working on him at the clinic? Oh, yeah. Because I feel like I was, I mean, obviously, because I was so stressed about the whole thing. How you, how comfortable was he in the when we were at the clinic? Did you think he was really lame then? I mean, to me, he was really well, lame before the clinic, and I felt like he was starting to get a little bit better by the time we got there. Yeah, definitely. I can remember videos of him, you know, having like a slight head bob. And at the clinic, I don't think it was as bad, but I do think that you're definitely more aware of him and what's his normal and what's his comfortable and what's his algae, you know? So, but yeah, yeah, I would say at the clinic, he looked to me, he looked decently comfortable. Like if he was a horse I was taking on, I would say he was, he was pretty sound. Yeah. Cause also too, when we were, when Pete asked me to, to trot him, I couldn't even watch, you know, cause I was leading him. So I didn't even know how he looked. And then afterwards, Derek came up to me and was like, oh, he looks pretty good. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did look really good. I also wanted to see what Pete remembered from working on Vinny. Yeah, so I don't know if you remember anything from Vinny and how he was moving at the clinic or what his, his feet looked like when you came up to Massachusetts. I remember feeling worthless to him and to you because his feet were beautiful, uh, great frogs, great sole, great bars, uh, great lamellar connection, just a foot that I wish that more of my clients looked like. And he was moving well in the clinic, and but I knew his history. I knew that he had been going through some hard times and that that had led up to getting the MRI and Benton DDFT tears were, showed up. And so basically I just felt like that all I could do is recommend that you change nothing that you were doing and hope that the inside stuff feels better. And you, when we were looking at the x-rays for the clinic, you know, we had the x-rays up on the screen and you had said that there was something going on with his in-par ligament or you assumed because of something on the x-rays? Well, this will be something for you to talk to a radiologist about because I am, I'm not a vet. Uh, certainly not a radiologist and I can't diagnose anything but from my understandings of my time hanging out with Dr. Balker this was the the area of the impar ligament attachments which is of course right between the coffin bone and the navicular bone that if there's been an injury or damage to the impar ligament you'll see an irregularity to the bone and that's what I thought I could see in him and suggested that maybe his area to dig deeper and a possible source of, uh, of uh, pain 
that he had been having because it looked to me like rather than typical smooth impar ligament attachment to the coffin bone, that it looked irregular and that maybe even there were some little spurs there. And if you, you know, saw one of your own personal clients that had something like that, or if you even had a client that had an MRI with tendon tears or ligament tears, how do you usually approach it? Well, most people, when they see a DDFT tear, are going to automatically want to raise the heels to lessen the, the DDFT tension. And actually, in most cases, I may as well, but it's for different reasons, and it's a different thing I'm monitoring. I feel like if you raise a heel or wedge a heel to slacken the DDFT that very quickly, in a matter of days even, the muscle just attaches to it. And so now you've created pathology that could damage the foot while really not doing anything for the ligament. So what I look for instead, because I also don't think that a horse is going to damage its DDFT while standing still. I think they do that when they're moving. And a big concern that I have is that if a horse is favoring his heels, if he's voluntarily trying to load the front of the foot and or carry less weight on the back of the foot, that one of the mechanisms that he uses to do that is tightening up the superficial and deep flexor tendons. And it's that voluntary toe-first impact that I think is one of the biggest things we need to avoid, both for prevention and certainly for trying to heal one of them. So I'm going to be doing, well, really, as I always do, setting heel height and palmer angle based on flat walks, uh, slightly heel-first um, at faster gates impact. And often that does mean raising the, the heels. So maybe I am doing the same thing a lot of people do, but probably less of it it's more subtle we're talking about three to five millimeters uh, a lot of the times of leaving a longer heel to help a horse move more correctly so that i'm probably going to do the same thing whether it's seeing the old potential damage in the impar ligament versus the acute new ddft tear because what i'm doing is going to be probably the same for both of those where that's going to fork is I'll yield entirely to the veterinarian because depending on the severity of the DDFT tear, maybe that horse needs stall rest, uh, maybe it needs light exercise, or maybe it just needs to be turned out and left alone, maybe it needs wrap, maybe not. And of course, all these things are going to change throughout time. So as a farrier, I step off of those decisions and yield to the vet. But then as far as what I see my job to do is to make sure that I'm not getting any compensative movement, which is what I view as the big wrecker of, of actually both of those lesions. Yeah, and that's basically how I how I approached Vinny too, is really watching his movement. And honestly, when we did try Wedge, and I thought it made his movement worse, and so I couldn't see keeping him in that because it made him worse, you know? <laughs> So. Yeah, well, it works that way a lot of time. That's why, you know, I'm not generally opposed to wedging, but a lot of people want to do it automatically if they see a low palmer angle. And in my view, if you wedge that horse and get better impact, get better movement, more correct movement, then that wedge is probably a good thing. But if you add that wedge and it doesn't improve the movement, then you're probably causing damage with it. I think mean, there's none of these tools like that that I take off the table, but I'm resistant to automatic prescriptions, if this, then that, because unfortunately it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. As, as, I, as I said at the clinic, I'm sorry I can't be more help. I think you did. I mean, you helped because you just in the last, you know, six years inspired me to, to go into hoof care, so... He probably wouldn't be around if it wasn't for you. So thank you. <laughs> so I wish I had some big secret to what I did after the clinic. I kept giving Vinny some time off. I did some hand walking. I was always watching for heel first landings. I was obsessive about his diet. I heat fitted some boots with felt pads inside, which I sometimes used and I sometimes didn't. I did minimal trimming actually, just some tiny tweaks and balancing as I saw fit for his landings and his movement. I would always watch him move and decide if I want to change anything with how his foot was growing. I did eventually expand his paddock and I trucked in a couple hundred dollars worth of pea gravel and crushed stone and I talked my barn owner into letting me build a very mini track, a small track uh, with round pen panels, like a super mini version of what Rockley has 
like on a tiny scale. The barn owner and the other boarders at the barn might think I'm absolutely delusional and crazy, but I wanted to give Vinny the best chance. I wanted to make sure he got more movement to challenge his tendons, but not so much movement that we had a setback. So this was a compromise in my mind. I will say the pea gravel and crushed stone did amazing things for his frogs, and they helped him wear his bars and feet to a level of almost self-maintenance. Sometimes I would just pick up his feet and think, okay, I don't even want to touch this. I feel like anything I do would just mess up the balance he has going on. Eventually, I expanded his track even more into the paddock next to his, and that's where he is now. I sometimes video him trotting and cantering around it with some pretty fancy flying lead changes the whole time, just muttering under my breath to make good choices, Vinny. I've ridden him at the walk a handful of times around the barn driveway and down the street and in the indoor bit, and he still hates the frozen mud. Again, I wish this episode was some big, great success story. I wish I had something awesome to tell you about how I miraculously healed my navicular horse. Basically, I feel like with most horses, we take things day by day and pray they don't try to kill themselves. If I had any parting words, it would probably be that I truly think the difficult horses end up in our lives for a reason, and they teach us more than any easy horse ever could. Sometimes these horses just don't fit the mold. They didn't read the textbook. They don't follow any of the rules. And that's when we start to think outside the box and try new things. I don't think Vinny was destined to be my riding horse. He changed the entire course of my life. He introduced me to some of the most amazing people who I never would have met without him. He taught me more than I ever could have asked for. I was once talking with Pete Ramey in his Facebook group about Vinny and mentioned that Vinny made me super emotional. It was almost as if Vinny likes to make me crumble into a ball of messy emotions. Pete replied saying, but look at how smart he's made you. You'll help many thousands of horses before you're done, all because of him. I really hope that's true. I think that was Vinny's plan for me all along. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.